Emergency. Batman speaking. Warning all of you to brace yourselves for big news. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. Lieutenant, is there a six-foot bat in Gotham City? If you make yourself more than just a man, the figure in the dark was my destiny. If you devote yourself to an ideal, I've got to strike fear in them from the start. Then you become something else entirely. There are things about me that you wouldn't understand. What are you? Batman. Welcome to Batman, a special presentation of the Dork Knights dedicated to the many incarnations of one of the greatest superheroes of all time. As part of this dynamic duo, I am your host, MB, and joining me is the Ducard to my Raz, the Chechen to my Moroni, and the Y to my So Serious, Birdman. Good afternoon, Dork Knight. Good afternoon, Bird Wonder. So, it's come to this point. Here we are. Yeah, the final home stretch of Bat Month. Mm-hmm. And really the entire reason we were doing this podcast to begin with, because this is kind of taking a life of its own, would you say? Yeah, pretty much. Like the reasonly when we envisioned this, I remember like uh let's talk about like you know, it's like the week leading up to the Dark Knight Rise, let's do like a podcast where we talk about like Batman. Mm-hmm. And like, just talk about Batman, what Batman means to us, getting ready, pump, pump for the Dark Knight Rises, and like, like, well, you know, that's that's gonna be like a very long one because, as you know, we can talk some Batman. Yeah, and you know. and here we are, a week leading up to the Dark Knight Rises, and we've gotten, what is it now? Yeah, five installments of this yeah. behind our belt, underneath what? our utility belt, someone said. God, it's probably like close to seven hours worth of talking, I would say, because each episode isn't like it's over an hour, so. And we're still going. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, this month has like dominated my life. Like I've been editing and everything I've been doing. Like I've been watching yeah. the Batman movies and everything. It's like it feels like a real experience. Yeah. But. Um. Yeah. Just pretty, that's what we're doing. Both of us been soaking up everything we can, Batman or Bat related, which you know, that's such a oh. This is such a hardship for us. You know? I know, I know. It's like, you imagine eventually you would have a point where you would have too much Batman. And for me, it's like, no. Hasn't really gotten to that point. And Not I've yet. watched nearly all of the films. You've even watched Batman and Robin. I know, I've watched Batman and Robin, and for some you wanted reason... wanted more. For some reason, I didn't recoil in horror. I I don't know what's wrong with me. Maybe I've, maybe I've gotten too accustomed to it. Probably all the nipples and cod pieces and everything but um we have a bit of a story to tell regarding that it was in 1997 when batman and robin came out and warner brothers saw that some of the reviews and some of the you know fan reaction to it wasn't exactly stellar um how did it do box office wise i've never looked it up did it did do all right in the box office it did okay but Compared to the other four, yeah. compared to the other three Batman films, it was the worst. Off. Yeah. And as criti- it should have been. Yeah, and critically, it was just absolutely panned. I think a couple people may have given it good reviews, but those people were fools. They were paid off by the Joker. Yeah, and damn you, clown prince of crime. But Warner Brothers, of course, saw this big backlash and decided, well, okay, well, the guy that directed that, you know, the 
crazy guy that put nipples on the bat suit. Um, we're not going to bring him back. Wise choice, I'd say. Probably the, one of the best decisions they've ever made. Yeah, yeah, that was when they turned around as a company. And then they made Catwoman, which was like... <laughs> All they goodwill, right down the drain. Yeah, but, you know, because of that backlash, because of all the bad blood that had been made because of Batman and Robin, Warner Brothers decided to table the Batman franchise for about eight years. There were a bunch of projects in development. I remember being a kid, and in the early days of the internet, I would read development updates on a bunch of projects, and, you know, they went through a bit of an overhaul. At first, it was going to be the fifth Batman movie. Like, it was simply going to continue the franchise. George Clooney, I think, was in talks to reprise the role. I remember seeing one rumor was that they were going to try to do a year one like type of story. Yeah, which with uh, with well, one of the rumors I heard for Batman would be like Brad Pitt. I think I never heard that one, but I know Darren Aronofsky was hired to direct Batman Year One. Yeah, and he had wrote a script treatment that had Bruce Wayne. You know, after his parents are murdered, he lives on the streets and doesn't really have the money. Alfred's a big black mechanic named Big Al. And Frank Miller actually wrote a draft of that too. He got involved. In. <laughs> yeah, and it was it was like it was like um the original script except two hundred percent more whores. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's basically what started his insanity. And he wrote All Star Batman and Robin. <laughs> you know, they were also planning Batman versus Superman, which I think if memory serves me right, they were going to get Jude Law and Colin Farrell to play Superman and Batman, respectively. Huh. I, maybe a young Colin Farrell, I can maybe see it, but not. I can see Jude Law at any point in his career as Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I, I see that now, looking back in hindsight, but maybe at the time I thought he was going to get Superman. I don't know. I, I, I don't really want to get into that, because it's like yeah, it didn't really happen, but... Yeah, no, we're just talking hypothetically. Wolfgang Peterson, who had directed Troy, was going to direct that one. Ah. They even, at one point, I think, talked about Batman Beyond as a live-action film. Huh. And Paul Dini was working on a script with some other screenwriter, and then that quickly got canned, I think. Which, to be honest, I kind of... I'm glad, because I think with Batman Beyond, that is best to only exist in the animated continuity. Because, like, or, it, gives, it gives that a nice compliment. Yeah, and I don't know. I, I, I've enjoyed it, like, in the comics and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the comics. I, I just can't really see it as a movie because, like, you would confuse a lot of people. Yeah, that's true. And I think the final one that they were going to do was uh, Dark Knight Returns, which they were talking about a lot before what eventually became the next film became the next film. But... Anyway, eight years, you know, basically a dormant franchise. You know, Batman, as it was, was basically dead. And a lot of people were beginning to even question, like, whether or not a new film would show up at all. You mentioned that. I remember when, I want to say, this is like 2001, maybe 2002. I went to go see some movie. I can't remember what movie it was. And, like, the trailer... You saw like this big mansion, you know, this winded mansion. It went up to this, you know, this mansion and through this house, and then you see the shadow of this figure with pointy ears. Mm, I was like, yeah, yeah. I was I like, know. Batman. They do a Batman again. It was Scooby Doo. I know, I know. I saw that as a tease, but <sighs> those 
sticks. I remember thinking that. I was like, you bastards. I know, I know. I mean, of all things, it had to be that movie. Yeah, I remember I remember seeing that TV spot in front of us. I think it was Spider-Man, actually. Mm. That might have been where I saw it, too. Obviously, it was on the minds of Warner Brothers for a long time. They just couldn't find a pitch that really worked for the character. And they even were contemplating doing it as a TV series, which is actually what eventually led to Smallville. Yeah. Uh, they were going to do Bruce Wayne as a sort of a, a pre-Batman show. Which... Yeah, he spends 10 years and never puts on the costume and has adventures with every other hero in the DCU. And Everybody the... knows he's Batman. Yeah, the Joker is his best friend. Yeah. He is Ro- like Robin becomes Robin before he even becomes Batman. Yeah, yeah, Batgirl becomes Batgirl before he becomes Batman. Uh, and he acts very wooden and stiff. <laughs> the finale, he just runs through a smoke monster with a batarang. Yeah, exactly. Obviously, that didn't happen. Thank Christ. But, you know, people were starting to wonder, you know, is a new Batman movie ever going to come about? And then there was this project that came along. I remember it very vividly called Batman the Frightening, which was a, going to be about the Scarecrow. And I remember thinking, huh, that would that would be kind of cool. You know, the Scarecrow had never been established properly in a movie. He had never been explored, really, outside of the comics and the animated series. So I thought, you know, that would be a really good project. And then the Frightening thing was debunked because it was actually a script called Batman Begins. Aha, that sounds vaguely familiar. And actually, for a long time, the project was called Batman Intimidation. And then yeah. called the Intimidation Game, which was actually just proven to be kind of the fake title they were using. But it was a script written by Blade's uh, debut desk warrior. Mm-hmm, yep. Yeah. Uh, his first... name is... He's been in a lot of... Uh, not just comic book movies, but like a lot of movies in general. He's written, helped write, you know. Ghost Rider. <laughs> uh, yeah, never mind. Uh, maybe <laughs> well, the less we say about that, the better. Well, it's also worth mentioning that he's also written comic books as well. Like, he mm. wrote, he co-wrote a yep. uh, run on the Justice Society with uh, Jeff Johns. Mm. And David Gordon actually wasn't the only writer on that script, because while he did write the first draft, it was an idea that he had developed with a filmmaker that many actually didn't really know at the time because he'd only directed a couple films. One of which was Memento, and the other one was Insomnia. And the guy's name is Christopher Nolan. May ring a bell? I don't know. To some people, maybe. But, um, you know, prior to Batman Begins, I'd seen both Memento and Insomnia. And, like, you know, the only... I didn't know it was the same guy from both those films because, like, the only thing... I really remembered about Insomnia at the time. I was like, oh, it's a movie where Robin Williams kills people. Spoiler alert. And, you know, in Mementos, the movie where Guy Pierce remembers stuff, or can't remember stuff, actually. Yeah. But I had no link that, you know, those were the same guy. From I didn't know that until, like, years later, till till after Batman Begins came out, and, and the, well, Dark Knight was in pre-production. Yeah, and obviously, you know, I... I... I had never even heard of him until he was hired to direct the next Batman movie. I honestly, even when he was hired, I kind of was I was kind of skeptical that it would happen because so many directors have been attached to the Batman project that even as he was hired in 2000 
2003 or 2004, one of the, yeah, 2003, and I was 13 at the time, and even I, even back then, I was like, eh, it's, it's not gonna happen. Like, Darren Aronofsky had already left the project. You were, you were the world's most jaded nine-year-old. Yeah, yeah, really. I mean, they took away my Batman. I, took I, away I, my I, Batman, you're like, mm, mm. you like smoking a cigarette, fuck those guys. Yeah, I mean, I was, I was completely jaded. Life has no meaning. Exactly. Exactly. I was I was having a midlife crisis at the end. <laughs> but, as people can probably tell, that didn't end up happening. Christopher Nolan actually did end up directing the next Batman movie. And I don't think many people knew what to expect going in. Because, obviously, you had the films that were a huge success, but I think people kind of been wanting something new, something different, something more like maybe the comic books, you know, more like the grounded, darker interpretations, like in year one and The Long Halloween, which had never really been fully explored in any of the films. And, you know, people, when Christopher Nolan came onto the project, people really didn't know what to expect out of him because he'd only done two films you know no no one knew anything about his plans for batman and then he cast the lead and i think that was the first sign that you know well maybe this might be heading in a new direction because it was actually a choice that many had wanted had been yeah. lobbying for for years because his name since had been, like what since 2000 right since american psycho yeah his name had been attached to it uh ever since batman year one where it's Darren Aronofsky because he was, I think, in talks for the role. And it was Christian Bale, who, again, someone I didn't really know of. I had never seen American Psycho or any of his other films. Yeah, um, because I remember when I first, like, when Batman Begins first came out, you know, he did all the press tour, the junkets and stuff, still using the American accent mm-hmm. when he talked. Because, like, you know, I heard him interview and stuff talking with an American accent. And then like, I looked him up and I found out he was Welsh. I was like, this guy's Welsh, but he doesn't have an accent. This makes no sense, you know. <laughs> Maybe he's been he's been trained out of him, you know. I didn't know. Apparently he did that because um, he thought people would be more comfortable, you know, if, he, if they thought he was, you know, American as Batman. Because mm-hmm. all Americans are racist. Hey, well, me especially. Yeah. Damn I mean, he was right. I'm not, I'm not saying he assumed anything. He's right. Damn you, Chris Bale. Damn you, Henry Cavill. You took our superheroes. <laughs> Meanwhile, we have Robert Downey Jr. playing Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Justice. <laughs> Looking back on it, it's like, Batman Begins was the first Batman movie that I had ever actively followed throughout mm-hmm. all of its production up until its release. So, honestly, like, this film was very big for me growing up because you know i was about 14 when it was started shooting 15 when it finally came out i'd followed it from beginning to end and i even like a couple people on the internet i actually got an advanced look at the script and <laughs> ended up discovering everything about the film and yet i still went in completely blind compared to what i would actually see on screen yeah it's kind of interesting because you mentioned it. it's almost like a tale of two different people because like whereas you 
you said you were actually following production from beginning to end, you know, on the internet, looking at the script. So I had no idea that Batman Begins was coming out until like a month before it actually came out. I know, I know you've told that story where you actually saw a uh, trailer for it in the theater and you were, yeah. and you blew your load. I was like, what are we watching? This is like the longest or something. Fuck that. Batman's coming out in a month. I have to store up and I stormed out of the theater. <laughs> Adam Sandler was crushed. Yes. That's what he said. <laughs> That's how he always speaks. Yeah, but I, like I said, I went like, you know, whereas you went in partially, you said you were partially blind, even though you knew all this stuff. I went into the movie totally blind. I had no idea what to expect at all. <laughs> even though the title is clearly Batman yeah. Begins. This is a Batman movie. <laughs> you lie. <laughs> you pulled out the Mr. Freeze. <laughs> Is Mr. Freeze going to be in it? Oh, God, is Arnold coming back? No. And honestly, I do. Like, looking back, I thought about looking back when I rewatched. There are a lot of stuff that went on. I felt like Batman Begins was the last movie I watched without any, like, genre savvy. Or, like, any, like, idea of what was coming. Mm. Because, like, there are a lot of stuff in that movie that's so telegraphed that the first time I watched I had no idea what was going to happen. Like with the twist with uh, with Raish, you know, his character dying, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. When it comes back and Liam, you know, Liam Neeson's back at the party, like, oh no, I didn't see that coming. Well, you know, all. actually, because I had read the script, I discovered that, but my main worry was that other people wouldn't get it because in a film, it's like, it's just such a moment where it's like, you don't know whether or not it was it was really telegraphed that well because yeah. like Liam Neeson is suddenly at a party and you know Bruce says your true identity rise and yeah. he just nods he doesn't really acknowledge it beyond that and I was just kind of I was just kind of worried because I I'd, I'd seen it first with my dad which was actually weird because that was the last movie I ever went to see with my dad Oh. and in IMAX it was the first movie I'd ever seen in IMAX uh. but I then went the following weekend to see it again with my mom, and I wasn't sure if she had quite gotten the twist, so I asked her on the way home, you know, so what did you think of uh, Raz al Ghul? And she thought, and she she immediately knew what I was talking about, because to her credit, she had gotten the twist, so... <laughs> you pat her on the head, that's a good girl, that's a good girl. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I mean, for Batman Begins, it's like, that was really the beginning of who I am now because that was really the f- reason that I started getting into forums and, and getting yeah. into the internet at large. And that was really, you could say Batman Begins inadvertently began what would sort of start as our relationship because without that movie, I would have never been on the hype. You would have never encountered me in the games. We would have never struck up a conversation. They've become friends. Yeah. Slash lovers, slash enemies, slash frenemies. Slash future suicidal partners. Yes. I would say partially maybe the same almost applies to me. Because as big of a Batman fan I was, I kind of was in a funk prior to Batman Begins. The animated series had run its course at that point. You know, Justice League was on, I think Justice League was on at that point, like 2004. It was on, right? Yeah, it, I think it ended in like 2006 or 2007. Uh, yeah, but Justice League was on, but like, I don't know, I just, I was starting to, 
like when it comes to Batman, not just Batman, but comics in general, like I was starting to not, not really care anymore. Yeah, honestly, like even the comics were kind of all, all at that point because you know you had, I think Ed Brubaker was on the Batman series, and you you know it, just not a lot was happening until really Hush came along, and that yeah. was really the big breaking point where a lot of people came on, and that's where I got into comics again, but. I can kind of understand what you mean, because, like, there was no... You know, I think when a Batman movie comes out, it's the biggest thing to happen in the character. You say what you will about the comics or the games or just any form of media oh, yeah. whatsoever, I mean, but it's like... Yeah, because as popular as Arkham City game is, it's not going to make a billion dollars. Yeah, and I think the Batman movie experience is, like, a whole sort of thing of its own. Like, it's a it's an event, Really, exactly. like you go to see a Batman movie, it's gonna be like it's something special. Mm-hmm. Even if it's something like Batman and Robin, it's like it's special, but at the same time, it's a special in a negative way. <laughs> special, yeah, if, special in a special kid kind yeah, of way. Yeah, like short bus kind of way. Like special, ah, oh, I need bleach in my eyes kind of way. <laughs> Nipples. Nipples. But yeah, obviously, uh, after Batman and Robin, Batman Begins came along and sort of reestablished the franchise as a viable moneymaker because that was kind of what led to the success of The Dark Knight was the fact yeah. that it took everyone uh, off guard. Uh, and Batman Begins was a modest hit, isn't that right? Yeah, it, like, was, it was surprisingly not very... It was still a success, but not to the degree that people thought it would be. Yeah, I do think like one thing that helped was strong word of mouth and stuff. I don't know. It just it had kind of a weird sort of almost quasi cult following after it came out because when it was in theaters, it's like no one really seemed to pay attention beyond like the hardcore fans because I think everyone was still skeptical of it after Batman yeah. and Robin because they kind of saw Batman as a silly character. And then of course. Dark Knight comes out and everybody in the grandma is quoting the Joker and you know wearing Weiser Series t-shirts. Yeah, yeah. How how the times change. Bastards. In the span of like, what was it? Three years. Three years, yeah. But yeah, I mean, let's let's talk about the films themselves for a little bit. Okay. Batman Begins. The first definitive account of the origin. We've never beyond the point of seeing, you know the the Waynes being murdered. We had never seen any part of the origin that had Bruce Wayne actually becoming Batman or, or Bruce's sort of inner turmoil with his upbringing or anything like that. And this film established that. My favorite aspect, not just of Batman Begins, but of the Dark Knight, the whole Nolan films, is that one character, as much as I love Batman, there's one character in his family, in his support characters that is near and dear to my heart, and that's Jim Gordon. Of course. And, you know, just a, a good Batman story is always going to be good, but, like, a good Jim Gordon story, just, oh, just, I, I just, you know, I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the fact that, unlike Batman, he's this guy who, he doesn't have powers. He doesn't have money. You know, he doesn't, all he has is a gun, you know, and a pot of coffee and his detective intuition, and he still goes up against the same people Batman does. And not mm -hmm. only that, but he has to deal with different problems, really, because... Yeah. He's in a city where all of his peers are corrupt. He's kind of lost hope in the system. Mm -hmm. And then also, like Batman, he has a family. And, yeah. you know, it's like in the comics they show as time goes on that his family gets torn apart by the city. But anyway, like, 
the approach Nolan took to Gordon is what I loved about it. Just because you can see very heavily, especially in Batman Begins, the year one influence when it comes to Gordon's character. Absolutely. And not only that, but they cast almost a complete 180 from Pat Hangel. And that it was just, not only was it a really just almost a chameleon type of actor, but he physically looked exactly like Gordon. Like, they made him up yeah. to look... All they did was slap a mustache and glasses on him, and he was right out of the comic books. I know. And that's just... I think that's the thing with Gary Oldman. If you're going to get Gary Oldman to do anything, he's going to do it, I mean, to the best of his ability, which is an awesome ability. Exactly. I mean, the guy the guy managed to play Dracula and not look like Bill Lugosi. Yeah. yeah, and he... If you ever you've never seen JFK, but if you ever look up like Gary Oldman and JFK, he looked exactly like Lee Harvey Oswald. And also, like he's done films like The Fifth Element, and I mean, from virtually every role that he plays, he kind of takes on a different persona, and that's yeah. really what he brought to Gordon because that was the first role he ever played that was really a good guy. I yeah. mean, yeah, I think so. Before, yeah, I'm trying to think, and it's like before that, it's like if you cast Gary Oldman, you know who the villain is going to be. Yeah, pretty much. He's like he's like a Kevin Spacey, you know, back in the nineties and early alts. And, and, and you know, like you said, like the cast casting Gary Oldman was sort of a one eighty compared to Pat Hingle, who was good in his own right. Yeah. But the th- main difference is the material there is so much different. Like, this Gordon, whereas like in Batman, the first Batman, Burton's from Batman, Gordon, he's seen. You know, he's a, I mean, you, you don't see him much, but he's a, it seems like he's a cop who's in charge of this corrupt department, doing the best he can with the resources he has. And he's, you know, very standoffish with Batman. But as the series progresses, the films, he comes more and more on par with the Batman from the Adam West TV show, you know. Yeah. Kind of, you know, his whole job is to signal Batman and use him as help. And Nolan's Gordon is the complete opposite. I wouldn't say the complete opposite. He uses Batman. But I think in the same way Batman uses him. Yeah, well, I think also it's like they're on equal footing because exactly. you know, he does just as much good for the city as Batman does. Arguably. Yeah, they're not they're not so much. I wouldn't say like Gordon's not so much a sidekick or assistant; they're equal partners. Yeah, yeah, they're working together hand in hand, which has always kind of been how it's like in the comics, really. And that's, I think that's a big reason why it was so successful because. You took this very different approach that the comics had always had and then applied it to the movies and showed people that Gordon could be more of a character than the bubbling sort of, yeah. you know, oh, God, we have to solve this crime ourselves. Yeah, and sort of the fact that he is a cop and he's a good cop, he's a competent cop, but the problem lies in being a police officer, he has to follow the rules. He yep. has to stay within the boundaries of the rules to be a police officer. To be an effective police officer, whereas Batman can operate outside the rules. That's what the scene as their partnership, you know. Batman steps over the line or bends the rules to help him, and Gordon, you know, does whatever he can for Batman. Absolutely. And I, Oldman completely brought that to the table. You know, they wrote the character completely like, like it was in the comic books. Yeah. I mean, it was just. I think out of all the characters in that series, Gordon is the most consistently like his character. He's he's the truest to his character. I mean, Batman comes close, don't get me wrong. Yeah. I think in Batman Begins, they got the perfect written Bruce Wayne to me. But in The Dark Knight, they got the perfect written Batman. 
they kind of have strength in both, but for different reasons to me. Yeah, I, yeah, um, yeah, I agree with that. But what about you? You mentioned like some aspect that I liked from Batman Begins. What was like some, I guess, aspect? Yeah, well, for me, with the Batman movie, you're always anticipating what new villain is going to come up, and really, that's kind of the whole fun of the franchise is that you you want to see new takes on villains from the comic books that really no one's ever thought of before, and that was kind of a grievance I had with the Dark Knight, but in Batman Begins, you have arguably one of Batman's greatest villains of all time who has never been touched, never even brought up as far as like rumors and stuff, Ra's al Ghul yep, um... in the League of Shadows, and not only that, but you have it brought up in such a way that is seamless within the story, I think. Yeah. That's what kind of I do think like their change to the approach instead of like being more of an eco terrorist. You know, they're vigilantes and the I think the message still fits with what he was like in the comics. Whereas, you know, he's this very he's this person who's very skeptical of humanity and thinks humanity needs to be purged. Although his philosophy is different for you know, there are slight differences to it. Whereas instead of, you know, to save the planet and stuff, he's doing it because he thinks humanity is, you know, inherently wicked and every so often it needs to be, you know, checked. Yeah, it needs, the balance needs to be restored, really. I think Liam Neeson is really underrated as a Batman villain because I think he brought a terrific performance to that character. I think he, mm-hmm. it, for, I think he is the iconic Rachel Ghoul to me, even more than David Warner, which, you know, David Warner did an amazing job in the animated series, but I think Liam Neeson is just... All around, he's who I hear in the comic books whenever I read Rachel Ghoul now. You mentioned, like, all his scenes are pretty much, like, you know, just gold. When I was watching it again, there's that scene where, like, after he's not Bruce into the ice. I know, that's... They're sitting there at the fire. Not just him, but Bale. Both of them brought their A-game. Like, Bale, some of Bale's, like, reactions to Liam Neeson's words are just gold, you know? Honestly, that scene may be one of my favorites of the entire movie, just because you see Raish as a sympathetic figure. Like, that was the first time a Batman villain had really been brought to sort of a third dimension, in that he wasn't just a clear-cut bad guy. He didn't eventually just become, I'm going to take over the world, or I'm going to, yeah. I'm gonna, in the Riddler's case, you know, take every memory or whatever. Yeah, he had good reason, like... I mean, you know, there's no good reason to kill people, of course, but, like, you know, he had had sympathy with them. You just didn't really feel that as much with, like, even, like, you know, Two-Face, who is an inherently sympathetic character in the Schumacher films, there wasn't really much sympathy to go around for him. Yeah, and, you know, Jack Nicholson as the Joker was just kind of out to poison people. Yeah, and he was a psycho from the get-go, so. Yeah. Of course, Penguin was the... Penguin, I would say, was the closest to being sympathetic. Yeah, but then but, he ruined it by wanting to murder children. Yeah, yeah. To be fair, I mean, Liam Neeson did eventually... His character did make a turn at the end, where it's yeah. like, obviously he had to go down. But for the most part, he he really was kind of almost touching as Rachel Gould because, you know, he had this... You could see it, like, in his performance. He had this, like, tragic backstory... And that was the reason that he wanted to train Bruce and kind of lead him on the same path that yeah. saved him. It almost kind of is like a version of the comics where it's like in the comics and he's always wanting Bruce as his heir. Yeah. To marry his daughter. And it's kind of similar. Not really, maybe not his heir in the literal sense, but to be his mentor or to mentor him and maybe to one day, you know, take over the League of Shadows. That's why I always took it. 
Yeah, yeah. Honestly, like it was a very much sort of a streamlined, subtle version mm-hmm. of Raish's first arc in the comic books, where he's trying to test Batman's worthiness of being his successor. And I think in this one, it's more of you know he's testing Bruce Wayne before he's Batman in a yeah. crucial moment of his life that Bruce actually turns against him. And I think I really think that's like really compelling stuff. Honestly, um, and I think. I think the whole Ra's al Ghul thing was probably one of my favorite elements of that yeah. movie. One thing I will say, too, about it is it seems to me like almost as if his story is, you know, we've talked about like a lot of Batman villains are seen as Batman taking to the extreme some element of his personality. And I think that Liam Neeson's race was kind of like that. A character who is so dead set on justice, revenge, that he'll do anything and everything to achieve it. Yeah, honestly, there was only one thing that separated them, and that was perfectly executed in that scene where he hands the sword to Bruce and says, extract vengeance. Yeah. And Bruce says he's not an executioner. That's literally the only difference between them. Because otherwise, they're the same man. I mean, Raish is obviously older and wiser, and he's got more skill. I mean, he was flat out kicking Batman's ass in that last scene. (laughs) Pretty much. Oh, and one thing I did mention when I talked about Gordon... At the end of Batman Begins, who is it that knocks the monorail down? It's not Batman. It's not Alfred. But it's Jim Gordon. Jim Gordon saves the day in Batman Begins. Driving the Batmobile. Driving the... He he drives Batman's car better than Batman does and saves the day. I think that's the first time since Chris O'Donnell someone has gotten to drive the Batmobile. (laughs) And it's the best anyone has ever gotten to drive it because he ends up using it to do a service. He defeats Rachel Ghoul. Exactly. Not like I said, not Batman with all his gadgets and his training, but some sergeant beat cop from Gotham City. Yeah, Batman was really kind of more of the distraction in that fight. Pretty much, yeah. That's what he says, you know, who said anything about stopping it, you know. Exactly. And try as he might, he still got it. Gordon really is the hero of these movies. That's right. I think about it. But yeah, that aside, one thing too I like that they kind of set up in Batman Begins, and you didn't really see it too much in the Burton and Schumacher films. That Batman kind of had he has a support system in this in this movie. It's not like you know in Burton films like really there's Alfred, and that's it. Yeah. Um, But in this one, you know, he's got Alfred, he's got Gordon, Rachel Dawes, and Lucius Fox, of course. Who I mean, it just shows you that even though he's Batman out there by himself, it's more than just one person to you know do this yeah he does have an extended family and i I will say that's one thing i want to quickly mention was that that was another thing i loved about the movie was that they implemented lucius fox in a way better than he had ever been in the comics because really he was just sort of a savvy businessman in the comic he's sort of like batman's q yeah and morgan freeman i mean talk about a pitch perfect casting choice i'm going to show you the magnetic grapple gun you encounter you you plan to encounter much gunfire in these caves, Mr. Wayne. <laughs> exactly, and and that's another thing I loved about his Lucius too is that he was just whip smart. Yeah, he, he saw through all this bullshit. That's one thing that the transition from Dark Knight to Batman Begins, like you know, the Batman Begins, like he, he knew something was up, but like it was like an unsaid question, mm-hmm. and it just got more obvious in Dark Knight you know, to the end, where you know, he sees him in his Batman gear, and he knows he's Bruce, and, you know, now there's a picture I've seen in The Dark Knight Rises where Bruce is in the Batcave with his mask off, and Lucius is there with him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I... I just like, like, the playful nature with him, like, you know, him knowing 
he had a pretty good idea of what he was doing with all this stuff, you know? Yeah, yeah, obviously. But going back to what you were talking about earlier with the sort of support group. Yeah. Honestly, I think the ensemble cast was what I really enjoyed about this, too, because, you know, when Nolan did interviews for Batman Begins, he would constantly say that he looked to Superman the movie, you know, the one with Christopher yeah. Reeve as inspiration. And see that. that explains why Raish's big plan was to become uh, president of Australia. <laughs> exactly. And <laughs> he called himself the greatest criminal mastermind of all time. <laughs> Ot- Otis was in the League of Shadows. Yeah, 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 I mean that's that's who Ken, Ken Watanabe's character essentially was. <laughs> yeah, he's he's a he's an Asian Otis. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, cast was just so well done. I think you know, Killian Murphy is, as the Scarecrow. I had no idea who this guy was, you know, yeah. before he. I have to admit, when he was cast, I was kind of skeptical because people didn't know who who he was playing at first, and when it eventually came out that he was Scarecrow, I thought that guy's a little young. Like he he kind of yeah. has like a he kind of has a really young face about him, but the way yeah. he was done up in the in the movie it just works. Like um, there's something yeah. inherently creepy about him. And like there's this that scene with the first introduction, like after he's gotten Mister Zaz off in court, um, <clears throat> Rachel confronts him, you know, and he's like acting like such a little shit ass to her. I'm like that that seems like that's to me that felt perfect because you know that's sort of how i imagine like you know really you don't see much of crane by himself like you know as crane he's always mostly scarecrow in the comics and stuff but it just seems like that'd be something like his personality would do like you know in a situation where he has the upper hand he's being snide about it you know to kind of like hide some of his insecurities and stuff absolutely i mean crane's always had that insecurity in the comics where he's kind of sort of this overbearing personality where he's incredibly cynical but at the same time just pompous as hell like yeah. I, like I, I really love that Killian Murphy managed to bring that to the role yeah and like the end that part where like you know Batman shows up and like you know what do we do you know call the cops you know it doesn't matter anymore yeah I mean that, he, just that smugness I mean he was completely confident in his plan and you know of course he ended up getting his ass handed to him but even after that he got yeah. it to shine where he was, you know, riding around on a fire-breathing horse. Only for him to be taken down by a taser. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he's not the most dignified character to come out of the series. Yeah. Well, that's sort of like how Scarecrow is, you know, like... Yeah, yeah. Once I mean, she was that's... immune to him, I mean, his... Once his, you know, if you can't... If you get past his fear gas, what is he? Yeah, exactly. And that's, that's perfectly exemplified in that scene, I think, because... You know, Crane, at the end of the day, he's just a guy who wears a bag on his head. Exactly. And preys on the fears of others. But, you know, also in the cast is Michael Caine as Alfred. Mm Mm-hmm. I love Michael Go in the role. I think he was the best part of the other four films because he was consistently good, even in Batman and Robin. But Michael Caine as Alfred, even while a different interpretation was just as valid and just as faithful to the comic books maybe even more so because you saw the fatherly role that he played he's more of a stern father figure than michael goes out yeah especially like uh that scene in batman begins like uh like just before like joe chill is you know on trial mm-hmm. uh, and he comes back to his house you know and alfred's like trying to convince him to stay and stuff you know yeah yeah, and, you know, Bruce is obviously lost in that scene, and he's, yeah. he's you know, I'm going to tear this whole manor down because, you know, it's a damn mausoleum, and, and Alfred is like, this house is 
sheltered six generations of your family, you know, you little bastard. Yeah, exactly. And one thing too is like, like we talked about this before, but like they got him and Bell. They had a great like rapport back and forth, like kind of. This they do that some in the comics, but that that was a trait that happened a lot in uh, the animated series with Bruce and Alfred. You know, snapping back and forth at each other. Yeah, yeah. I mean. You also had Morgan Freeman as Lucius that we talked yeah. about. Perfect casting. What more um, do you really need to say? I do think that I know. Just probably no comes some surprise, but as far as like the cast, I think the weak link was uh, Katie Holmes as Rachel Dawes, and I don't say this because you know she's a bad actress and she did fine. I think what she had, but just the character. I felt like the character in and of itself was kind of like you know she was like this character who. I mean, for the most part, very part of the movie, her job is to be someone for Batman to rescue. Um, I don't really agree with well, that, parts to be honest. I mean, I think, like, you know, there's parts of it where that's her job. Like, well, I know... The whole Arkham sequence, definitely. I mean... Like, I know she, like, like her. I think her biggest contribution was uh, with the flashback. Joe Chills died. And honestly, I think that's the best part of Katie Holmes' performance as Rachel. I think when she's doing the flashback, she's perfectly tolerable in the world. Yeah. In fact, I think she actually has a really good scene where she's explaining how Gotham has suffered, and then she pulls up to that bar where Falcone is and says, you want to thank him for that? Here you go. Yeah, and she pulls off the epic slap bomb. Yeah, yeah. Watching Batman Begins, again, I didn't really have a problem with her. It's just that whenever she speaks, she sounds 14. Um, but I do think, like, you know, the weak link, I would say maybe by default, just because you got Christian Bale, you got Morgan Freeman, Gary Oldman, Michael Caine, you know, Liam Neeson all on the screen, you know, just by default, I think, more yeah. so than anything. Yeah, I mean, I, I gotta admit, yeah, she she got the short end of the stick, but honestly, I think she gets a little too much slack for yeah. what she get, does. And, yeah, and also, I mean... And a lot of people criticize mostly because of the time that Batman Begins came out, you know, her personal life and stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you know, her romantic involvement. Couch shelf. And apparently now Tom's decided to run away from that as fast as he can. <laughs> no, she was the one that ran away. Oh, she ran away. That's right, yeah. She um, went back to bail. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she, she didn't realize how good she had it. <laughs> Once you go Batman, you never go back. But. You know, we talked about all the rest of the cast except for the main guy, and I think he really deserves the most props because in a film like that, the lead can make or break the entire movie. And mm-hmm. Christian Bale as Bruce Wayne, my money, the best live-action Bruce Wayne that has ever existed to me. I mean, I love Michael Keaton. I I really like what Val Kilmer did, and George Clooney actually, for his... As bland as he was as Batman, he did get the public persona of Bruce Wayne very well. But Bruce Wayne, as done by Christian Bale, is... He does so much with the role. He gets to play the role in so many different forms. Because, you know, you have Bruce Wayne as the young, vengeful, sort of almost spoiled brat. And then after he has that sort of, you know, wake-up call with Rachel and... You know, telling him that Gotham is suffering, he kind of takes a turn where he realizes, okay, well, maybe this isn't all about me. And he goes to confront Falcone and says, you know, I'm not afraid of you. And then 
once he's thrown out on the streets, you know, he goes through an entirely different change where he starts traveling the world and you see the seeds of what he eventually becomes as the ninja for the League of Shadows. Yeah. Where he's, you know, training under Liam Neeson and he's obviously got a few things to learn, but he's starting to step up. And by the end of it, he's had a full character arc. Like, he has gone through a full journey that has oh, yeah. turned him into Batman, and Bale pulls it off. He pulls it all off very well, and I think, aside from Kevin Conroy, he's probably my second favorite actor to play the role of all time. Like, what, what would you say as far as Bale? I do think so, just because, like you said, there's a full-out, bona fide, fleshed-out character arc. Whereas, like, you know, with Keaton, you really didn't get that too much, you know. When you first see him, he's already the guy who is Batman. I mean, you get a insight into what he is and who he is through, like, Vicki Bale and Alexander Knox. But you don't get to see that development where he realizes that, you know, wait, this, you know, is something bigger than I thought it would be. Something bigger than, you know, anyone thought it would be. Yeah. Yeah, and honestly, Batman in that film is portrayed very much as a rookie. You know, as he was in year one. Like, I think even when he turns into Batman and wears the suit, yeah. it's very much a bunch of mistakes that culminate into his eventual success. Yeah. I do like that scene where it, I think it took some cues. For me personally, I think it took some cues from Master Phantasm where he's wearing, like, that proto-Batman suit with just the mask and the harness and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. he confronts uh, Gordon in his office. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really enjoyed that scene because, like, it was... It was Batman without the Batman this his first trial run and he failed like very much like in Mask of the Phantasm. Yeah. Like he jumps off a building and <laughs> he nearly, nearly breaks his neck. Yeah. yeah I mean <laughs> the the moment that he comes in to Lucius and says, No, today is base jumping. Like that was I think that was really well done. I think another big thing about the movie is that it has such a strong script because it deals with virtually everything like it explains where everything comes from yeah. but at the same time it doesn't feel forced there's one thing i especially love is uh their way i say their more subtle way of kind of showing why batman doesn't use guns mm -hmm. and this is from the scene where you know joe chill is being released because he's uh testifying against carmine falcone and um Bruce is, you know, he's at the end of the hallway. He's got that gun hidden in his sleeve, and he's, in his intent is to murder him, just to walk up to him and shoot him, you know. Yeah. And you know, no kind of justice. I mean, just vengeance. And you know, before he does, another assassin comes out of nowhere and shoots the guy, and kills him. And like they show him later with the gun. And I feel like he you know, he tosses it in the river. And I kind of think that like, the kind of way they explain like he doesn't use guns is like to use a gun it, like. It brings him back to that mentality where he come this close to, you know, taking a man's life, to being so lost in his vengeance that, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I never really thought of it like that, but yeah, you're absolutely right. Like, it's it's kind of like, he, that was the lowest point that he ever reached, and to use a gun would kind of remind him of that. Exactly, way. and that's what, you know, because that's where he got, he, that's where, you know, they always talk about how he's a character on the edge of the abyss, you know, and he come this close to being swallowed by it, by the darkness for, yeah. for good and never coming back. You know, the ironic thing that I kind of noticed when I was watching the movie was that, in a way, Carmine Falcone ended up saving Bruce Wayne's life. Because if he hadn't sent that assassin after Joe Chill, 
Bruce would have completely thrown it all away. Wow. Yeah. That's, man, freaking. That's deep. The mob created Batman. Oh, God. Oh, God. He owes everything to Carmine Falcone. And he threw him in prison where oh. he got poisoned by Dr. Green. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. I never thought about this. That's a astute observation. Yeah, I know. It's it's weird because like the villains, in a way, both kind of make. I mean, all three of them kind of make Batman in a weird way. Well, like, how how Crane? I, I get you he know, forces him to face his fears. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's that's true. I didn't well, think. I mean, Raz does too, but it's like scared yeah, more directly. I think. Yeah, straight up with you know weaponized hallucinogens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, passing out weaponized hallucinogens while he's trying to get kicks. <laughs> but yeah, I. Batman Begins, for my money, is one of the best, still one of the best comic book movies ever made. And I think one more thing I want to mention about it is probably the most drastic change they made to the comic books and to the whole mythology was their choice of the Batmobile. <laughs> the Tumbler. Exactly. That tank. Oh, the Tumbler? You, you wouldn't be interested in that. <laughs> and... When I first saw the picture, because that was the first picture ever officially released, was of the Batmobile. Like, before we'd ever seen Bale in the suit or anything, it was that giant car. I think yeah. all of us were kind of, like, taken aback, almost, because it was so different from every Batmobile that had ever existed. It, except for maybe, like, the tank and... Uh, yeah, that's where I kind of felt like they took... Like, you know, the, kind of the realism thing. Like, you know, if a guy with all this money has this, you know, he's going out fighting crime. He's not going to be like in a you know, souped-up Ferrari. Yeah, yeah, like a sports car with fins on it. Yeah, like he's going to be in as much, he's going to get as much arm as he can. Yeah. And I think one of the great things about that car is that it can really do everything that it does on screen. There's no real CGI when it comes to the Batmobile. I mean, there's CGI in the movie, but it's like, it's for other things, like uh, the bats and uh, monorail and some of like the shots of Gotham sitting at like the beginning, yeah. I noticed were kind of CGI. But the Batmobile is fully functional. It can jump. It can even with as big as it is, it can get up to top speed. I mean, yeah. I God, if there's any Batmobile I would want to drive, it'd probably be that one. I'd I'd want to own the the Keaton one. But if I would want, if there's a Batmobile I'd want to drive, it'd be the Tumbler. Oh hell yeah! You uh, that would you, there's no question. I would. I would dare, I would run a real light and dare someone to crash into me in that thing. Yeah, and can you imagine just going to the grocery store all nonchalant in the tumbler? Yeah. Walk out, or like the thing, and then it, it jumps, it pulls you up, you know? Yeah. And you get out and have to climb back on it, climb back <laughs> off of it. Yeah. For some reason, there's an inoculated Katie Holmes in the seat next to you. Calm down, you've been poisoned. I'm going to go <laughs> get some, I'm going to go get some popcorn, but you'll be fine. She's like, what are you talking about? I feel fine. Shut up, bitch. <laughs> but yeah, I, I guess before we move on to the Dark Knight, maybe we should mention some things, to be fair, that we didn't necessarily oh, like yeah. in the film. I um, mean, no film is perfect, Yeah, obviously. of course. There are a couple, like, cheesy lines, I think, in it, you know. Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, when Gordon's, like, when Batman's going away in the tumble, like, you know, Gordon's, I gotta give me one of those, you know. For some reason, I always like that line. I don't know why. I, I know it's cheesy, but it's like... Yeah. That one kind of... Of all the cheesy lines in it, that one kind of, like, is the least... You know, the least suspect to me. I, I mean, obviously, Nice Coat is one. 
Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Nice coat. Then, um, I'm trying to think of another one. I know, like, there's a, one plot, like, one, like, weird thing that happens that, um, I think you remember it too. Is, um, it's not really, you I know, mean, it's not dialogue, but it's like, kind of like a plot hole, maybe. Um, at Bruce's party, you know, that lady who introduces, you know, Raz's bodyguard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think and, I know. I think I know where you're heading with this too. Yeah, because like, you know, he's like, you're not Raz. I'll go. I watched him die, and then you eliminate my. But are his methods not supernatural? Is he not immortal? And like, they have this foreboding conversation while this lady stands to the side of him watching, and she doesn't say anything about it. She just walks off. Well, yeah, she walks off, but she's also walking with the bodyguard. I know, and, and she knows like, this dude isn't the real guy. It is like. And it's like, did the League of Shadows hire like a, a seventy-year-old woman to to accompany them? Like, you don't know. I mean, she she could be part of the group. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, she could be their top-level assassin. <laughs> you don't see that coming. Old lady comes in and garrots you. She was the real Rachel Ghoul. <laughs> That's what's gonna be the twist. She jumped in the Lazarus pit, and she come out as Marion Colliard, Col- Col- however you say her name. Yeah. Yeah. And the Dark Knight Rises, that's her. She's the old lady from the first, <laughs> from Batman Begins. What a twist. That's worthy of Shyamalan right now, there. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I I, get, I definitely get what you mean with, like, the cheesy lines and that weird old lady that apparently works with the League of Shadows. As far as personal beefs that I have with it, there's one sequence that doesn't quite work for me, and it never quite works for me, in that, you know, you have Batman poisoned by... Scarecrow, and that sequence works fine. I, I really yeah. like that sequence where he's you know struggling to stay alive and st- and simultaneously call Alfred and all of that. But then the sequence that follows is that he's in bed, and you know he gets the hallucinogen and all that. Like he gets the antidote to the hallucinogen, and you know Rachel comes by, delivers his present, says you know Arkham. He she first of all she gets a call from Arkham Asylum that's obviously just meant to move the plot along. It's like, it's just kind of a thing that you can't really avoid, but it's always noticeable. Yeah. Where it's like, it's kind of just meant to be there for exposition for Bruce to overhear and say, well, I got to go into action. But less than like five minutes after he was in the Batsuit, he goes in this dramatic manner down to the Batcave, opens the chest, reveals the Batsuit again, and is Batman and like, a couple minutes afterwards like it's just the time between him wearing the suit and him wearing the suit again is just like they play it up in such a way where it should be something special but it's like you well just, i mean you just saw it yeah i think like the you know there's really no that's the last time he suits up yeah yeah well he suits up again but like you know every batman movie i think they need to have the dramatic suiting up moment or something yeah yeah and i think i mean you know they did that extent, i don't remember did they do it in the Dark Knight? I can't remember. No, they didn't really. Yeah, but. but um, but I just feel like you know that's kind of a staple of the Batman film. Yeah, yeah. I mean, to be fair, they do do it at the film at the end of the film where he's like suiting up and you see him like pull on the gloves and put everything on the belt right before yeah. he goes to face off against Raish. But I don't know. Though, something about that always kind of bugged me because I think whenever you have Batman and Bruce Wayne in the film, you need to use Batman sparingly because you know whenever he's in the suit, it should be a big thing. And that was kind of like, for some re- for whatever reason, I don't know. Like, I don't even think it's legitimately a complaint. It's just kind of something that always bugged me. 
Yeah, you're nitpicking. Yeah, 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 I'm a bit of a bitch. But the third act kind of gets a little too action movie esque. Yeah, that's I've seen most people kind of complain that uh, the third act is the weakest. That's what I've heard people complain about. And to be fair, it's like there's still nothing really wrong with the third act. I think it works fine. I think it's a great third act, and with a little with a really strong written encounter between Raish and Batman and that, you know, Raish seems to get the other upper hand and then, as we explained, Gordon saves the day. Exactly. But that was sort of, yeah, I guess that was, but that was sort of his plan, though, to just, you know, distract. Yeah, and I think even though it does enter, you know, kind of the cliche action movie territory, it, you know, it kind of works because Batman is an action hero, so... I don't know. Maybe I'm turning around on this as I speak about it. <laughs> I'm talking you out of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Damn you, Bird Wonder. <laughs> you and your guiding influence. But is there anything else that bothered you? Nothing. I mean, nothing else. I mean, it was a pretty solid film. I mean, even it still holds up, you know, seven years later. Yeah. Uh, one thing I did kind of wish we... like another. I know, like, at the beginning when he's in that prison, we see him fighting, like, six guys. He kicks the asses of six guys. Mm-hmm. And you don't really get to see... Like, how did he learn how to do that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I definitely get what you mean. Like, there could have been a couple more things. Like, like uh, someone mentioned this yesterday, actually, that they could have done something more to, like, highlight maybe he was a detective. And that maybe that was kind of the another thing that was lacking from the movie, where, you know, he's not really built up as a detective. Yeah. If that's all we really want to say about Batman Begins. Yeah. You know, great film. Definitely one of my favorite comic book movies of all time. And to this day... I think one of the best entries in the Batman franchise. Oh yeah, without a doubt. So, you know, you have Batman Begins, which is a modest success, as we said. And then you go into The Dark Knight, which, you know, a sequel was always going to be inevitable because of yeah. that last shot of... Oh yeah, Gordon. I forgot about that last shot. That's one thing I wanted to mention too, that last shot is just... I remember when I saw it, like, my arm broke out into goose pimples. You, you, you dropped a fudge. Exactly. I, I did the same thing I did when I saw longest when I was at Longest Short and I saw Batman Begins trailer. <laughs> you just like, oh start, yeah. You just unzipped your pants, started violently masturbating. Exactly. And then for some reason it was it was green and red instead of white. <laughs> but uh, uh, what what did I bring that up? Oh, I regret that. Just because of the mental image. But <laughs> you're welcome. <laughs> but yeah. Um, you know, a sequel was always going to be inevitable. The villain in it was always going to be inevitable. Yeah. So, the first thing that they do is cast Heath Ledger as the Joker. Now, yep. when he was first cast, I don't think the reaction was really warm, because, you know, the guy was famous mostly for romantic comedies, like... Ten Things ten, I Hate About You. Yeah, Ten Things and, I Hate About You. And he was good in that movie. I've, I've actually I've seen that movie many times, and I liked it, you know? Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt, another future Batman alum. Yeah, and... Was in that film as well. Yeah, I think people just kind of associate with the stigma of romantic comedies. Yeah, and sure. You know, he was also in A Knight's Tale, which I don't think many people really cared for. But he was also in Brokeback Mountain, which was an Oscar-winning movie. And nothing had come out of his career that really screamed the Joker. You know, what they didn't realize was that he was kind of... You know, he was more of a chameleon actor than I think people gave him credit for. Because I remember watching a trailer for The Brothers Grimm, which was him and uh, Matt Damon. Yeah, I've never seen that. Have you seen it? No, I haven't seen it, but I saw the trailer and 
I didn't recognize the guy in it. I didn't recognize Heath Ledger mm. in that role. Yeah, he, he was kind of made up. Yeah, and honestly, I I, I think it's also acting wise, he kind of had a different thing because he was in Brokeback Mountain, and that wasn't like him doing himself. Like that was him. Nah, it was him doing Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, <laughs> yeah, but when he was first cast, I I don't think anyone really had any idea of what would come out of that. But obviously, you know, the legacy speaks for itself. Yeah. And how did you feel when he first cast? Were you, to me, I was kind of cautiously optimistic. That's I how was, I am with a lot of stuff, you know. I didn't really feel either way about it. I was like, well, you know, they cast someone. I've never really seen much of Keith Ledger's work at that point, so I really didn't have anything to base it off of. But I was like, I mean, it could work. It could not work. Who, who really knows, really? For all intents and purposes, you know, they were lining up a cast. They were, you know, getting back in the saddle. Christopher Nolan had just done The Prestige between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. As far as The Dark Knight goes, like, you also had, you know, they were going to bring in Harvey Dent, which I don't think a lot of people expected. Was uh, They were going to bring him in as a secondary character. And I Eric, kind of expected it the way in Batman Begins, the DA, they kill him off. Yeah. So I figured maybe not he would be... A full I didn't know if he was gonna be a full fledged character like he ended up being, but I figured he was gonna be in there in some capacity. Yeah, and I think he in the original script for Batman Begins, he did actually have like a name drop moment where Rachel mentions, you know, this DA named Harvey Dent, you know, had like oversaw a case or something in Gotham and uh the DA, you know, dismissed Dent or something like that, which yeah. you know proved to be his undoing. That's right, Harvey Dent killed him. I knew it. Harvey Dent killed the DA of Gotham so that he could become the DA. That's he was, the he, he was that police officer with the silence pistol. Yeah. Shot him in the back of the head. I knew it. Yeah, if you look closely, it is Aaron Eckhart. But, uh, <laughs> he, that's how committed Nolan was. He cast him three years in advance. Exactly. But, you know, Aaron Eckhart is Harvey Dent. You have... Rachel Dawes was recast because I think Katie Holmes had had like a scheduling conflict or something. Oh, and also I also heard that there's a lot of like controversy over that. Like, you know, some people said like no one in the studio didn't want her back just because of, you know, in between she went off with Tom Cruise and the crazy Scientologist stuff. And then some people said she didn't do it because it was a violent film and against her crazy Scientologist stuff. So it's like a bunch of he said, she said. Either Regardless, you know, they got another actress to fill the role. Yeah, Maggie Gyllenhaal, who by all accounts, when she was cast, I thought, you know, that's a good choice because not only does she look a little bit like Katie Holmes, but she's a really talented actress. And yeah. I had seen her in a film, Stranger Than Fiction, with yeah. Will Ferrell. And she does fantastic in that movie. Did that come out before The Dark Knight? Yeah. yeah. That movie's that old? I didn't know that. I thought it was recent that, but... um. You mentioned Maggie Gyllenhaal being cast. Um, I remember before she was cast, I had a rumor of them. Remember uh, the casting Jake Gyllenhaal as Harvey Dent. <laughs> and it's a good thing they didn't do that. Cause, you know. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> that would have been awkward. Like, like Jake Gyllenhaal turns while he's being put in the uh, GCPD van, just lays a big one on his sister. <laughs> No, well, no, no, no. That yeah, that, that would have gotten you off, you southern bastard. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, they lined up a pretty good cast for the sequel. They brought in Eric Roberts as Sal Maroney. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot 
I, for some reason, overlooked him. Yeah. They brought in Salvatore Moroni, which, you know, big character from the comics, ends up creating Two-Face in the comics. Uh, yeah, in the comics. Not so much in this one. But, you know, on paper, it was a really good cast, and they, I would say they delivered. The Dark Knight is really a well-acted, well-told story, I think, yeah. at the end of the day. And I'm kind of of the minority where I actually kind of like Batman Begins a little bit more. But The Dark Knight is really solid, I think. I think almost, it feels like while, you know, this obvious both films are sequels, you know, like it's a continuation of the story. Something about the tone, the shift in between Batman Begins and The Dark Knight makes it feel like they're almost not related in some regards, if that makes sense. Yeah, in some regards, I can I can kind of see that. I guess, but it, I guess like some of the craziness and stuff in the Dark Knight kind of fits with how Batman begins and ends when they're talking about escalation and stuff. Yeah, things kind of get out of more out of control, which I can, which was definitely the strength of the film, I think. Uh, yeah, it kind of like it shows like I think it like it takes a realistic approach. Like you know, they talk about the realistic approach to how a character like Batman would start. Yeah. And this film takes like it shows like you know. A guy out there doing this, the consequences of it, because we don't really see the consequences of Batman, like what Batman does. We've seen it in the comic books and stuff. You've never really seen it in the films. Yeah, and there's always that big argument in the comic books that does Batman create more monsters than he vanquishes, really? Exactly. It's in the cause of his villains. Yeah, and that's kind of really the exploration of this film at the ground basis of it. With the Joker... It's sort of like the ultimate question of that because the Joker didn't exist until Batman showed up on the scene. Like, all of a sudden, there would be these... At the end of Batman Begins, it's like Gordon mentions, you know, there have been a couple murderers that have sort of this pattern. And, you know, it's kind of like you, kind of a flair for the dramatic. And he holds up that Joker card, and it's like... You start to wonder, you know, what if this character exists because... Batman made such a dramatic example on Gotham. Yeah. That's kind of how I I take it. Like um, like not just with Joker, but with the other the fake Batman. Like that's something they kind of introduced at first, and they kind of like that plot thread kind of went away like halfway through the film. Yeah, so, like, it shows that you know Batman's inspiring people. He's inspiring the right people to do the right thing. In the case of, like Harvey and Jim Gordon, but he's also inspiring people. You know, maybe not entirely sane or, you know, a little, you know, mentally disturbed to, you know, following his footsteps. Yeah, and, you know, people that are kind of, at the end of the day, kind of not really fit to do what he does. Exactly. Throwing themselves out there with, you know, it, it shows because, you know, you have this group of Batman that are brandishing, you know, shotguns and semi-automatics, but then you also have, like, that scene where the Scarecrow, who shows back up in the beginning... One of them approaches him from behind. He just easily gasses him, and he's yeah. kind of just starts going around screaming. And it's it's really kind of a funny uh, sequence. But obviously, this film tonally it fits with Batman Begins to an extent. Like it it takes the basic concept of what Batman Begins' world was like, and sort of brings it to the extreme with all the chaos and the Joker what everything that the Joker presents because he by and large he was an, an amazing villain in that movie because yeah his plan was not only was it true to the character but it was like it was so insane and 
well thought out to the point where it was like, you could actually believe Gotham City would suffer under his plan. Yes. And that's something, like, I do think, like, you know, when we talked about Jack Nicholson's chapter, like, his plan to, like, you know, cause chaos and anarchy in the city through, like, you know, tampering products. You know, that's one way to do it, but, like, Ledger's Joker involves, like, not really so much, you know, he, he's, you know, he's terrorizing the city, but and he's but he's putting it on, instead of, like, you know, pour, taking it upon himself to do this, you know, he's shifting the blame. He's saying, I'm doing these things, but the only reason I'm doing them is because Batman exists, and if yeah. you want me to stop, you have to, you know, bring me Batman, or Batman has to stop. Yeah, and not only that, but it's like he also shifts it in a way where it's like, you know, really, I'm just, you know, I'm an innocent guy. Uh, yeah, they're the, saying, they're the yeah. steamers, you know, they're the guys who are trying to control everything, and I'm just trying to show them, you know, they're idiots. Because they, I mean, honestly, like, whenever the Joker speaks, it's like, it's so insane, but brilliant at the same time, because, and that's the character. That's yeah. the character. It's like, he has a really unorthodox view of the world, but at the same time, he's a criminal genius. And I think that's a really big aspect yeah. of what they portray in The Dark Knight. And whenever they get like into the Joker's philosophy, that's what it is. Like his philosophy is a horrible, almost pessimistic outlook on life, but he's able to justify it so well. You know, especially like uh, when he shows, like, you know, his grand plan to bring Harvey to his knees, you know, turn him into a guy just like him yeah and it, it it goes off without a hitch yeah he brings him down to the level of both him and batman and yeah ends up sort of contributing to the fall of harvey dent which is i think even with the chaos i think that was more of a smoke screen for a large part because even though it was the main story the real story is the fall the rise and fall of harvey dent yeah exactly you know that's what that's why, you know, just like with the title of, you know, uh, Batman, you know, The Dark Knight Rises, you almost get to call this one The Dark Knight Falls or something, just because of, you know, the way it ends. Mm-hmm. And like it, ends, the, it ends very much like Empire Strikes Back, where it's like, everything's miserable. Like, no character yeah. comes out of it really good. Like, that's I mean, what, that's people, what I've I've said to, like, people who, who complain about the end of The Dark Knight. Oh, it's so, you know, it's so shitty you know and it's you know there's all this moral compromise and stuff that's taken like yeah it that's what happens but it's i mean people said the same thing about like you said empire strikes back yeah you know it's the middle chapter of the saga so it's supposed to end on a down note that's sort of how like if you there's ever a trilogy like you know the first the end of the first one amps the stakes up the second one there's always something, you know, even more, and then the third one is when the resolution's supposed to happen. So just, just wait, you know. Yeah, it would have been weird if Nolan hadn't come back for a third one. I almost, I was one of those people like, how, you know, I was when I left the theater, I was like, how can they top that, you know? I, I mean, I could see ways. When I was coming out of the theater, I could see like a couple different scenarios. Yeah. I didn't imagine anything like the Dark Knight Rises. Like that's. There's really a pretty interesting idea when you get yeah. to it, but um, um, there is something that I meant to, I wanted to talk about too, in that, and so far from what we know about the three films, it seems like the three big bad guys of the Nolan films they have something in common. Mm-hmm. All right, rise, right, race, rise. His big plan is to use the subway, the monorail system, to just you know disperse the fear gas throughout Gotham, right? Mm-hmm. 
Joker attacks the ferry. He attacks buses and stuff like that with rocket launchers and explosives. And Bane, like, blows up all the bridges, you know, and stuff in Gotham City. You know, if you're, like, a civil engineer in Gotham, you have got... I mean, seriously, those, those people have got it out for you. That's what their big plan is. All the villains just to blow up all the public landmarks, you know, because... They're the real victims. If there's going to be, like, a fourth... If they ever made a fourth one, no one... I imagine, like, Riddler's big plan is to, like, blow up, like, buses. <laughs> or to, like, you know, he flattens all the taxi cabs. Their, their, <laughs> their tires. Yeah. Uh, there's, like, a... Uh, there's a helicopter tour of Gotham City, and they pull <laughs> that up. Yeah. I mean, they're just... The public transportation people of Gotham cannot catch a break. Not at all. Like, they need some grant from Wayne... Enterprises or something. No, give Knox a credit. But uh, <laughs> but yeah, I I mean we've been talking a lot about the the films at this point. We're kind of running a bit of uh, time on this one. But um, well, we, yeah, we kind of talked like this one might be a little longer. But longer. at the end of the at the same time, it's like this is the installment we were waiting to get to. Yeah, this is the penultimate one. Yeah, the penultimate one. The next one is really the one that we were waiting to get into. Exactly. But, um, by the time that one goes up, we'll have seen The Dark Knight Rises. Mm-hmm. And we'll be able to talk about that. But um, really, before we go, I want to get into sort of the stuff we didn't like about The Dark Knight either. Because okay. we talked about Batman Begins and the flaws we saw with that. Um, this is what I kind of have more issue. Yeah, a little bit. Like, I would say one of my main flaws in the storytelling is, um, first off, I think Joker, his plan works way too easy. Like, it's way, it, everything goes off without a hitch. And I feel like for, you know, the like, thing they keep preaching is realism, realism, realism. Some of that stuff, you know. Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, the realism thing is like... At the end of the day, it's like hyper-realism. Yeah, that's what I think is maybe it's got like a one foot in reality, possibly. Especially, like, it seems like they're going more away with that. Yeah, I think uh, think it was more of like it started off as reality, but as Batman and his villains started showing up, it's like it became less and less reality. That's what I think we've talked about before. Batman is a character that you can't do realistically, I don't think. I mean, you can kind of try to do realistically. Yeah, you can try, but it's like at the end of the day... It's a guy. It's a vigilante that's probably going to be taken down by the police immediately. Yeah, exactly. If not immediately killed during like a mugging or something. But um, I think with the Dark Knight, one of the reasons I don't really like it as much as Batman Begins is it's based off of a comic book that I've always kind of found not as good as Year One, which is what Batman Begins is based off of, and that's the Long Halloween, which is largely what it's based off of and I think yeah, I just but... it's just a personal preference like I don't think either story are bad or anything it's just yeah. I, I don't know I think well I would say that yeah I, I see some of the basis in Long Halloween with the uh, Dark Knight but I feel like it's more like you see the roots of Batman begin, Batman Year One more clearly in Batman Begins other than, like they took some of the basic ideas and concepts from Long Halloween and you know made it stuff like there's a lot you know it's not as much based I feel like in the Long Halloween as Batman Begins in Year One is. Yeah, well, I also think it shares some similarities in the fact that it's you know the big thing about Batman Begins was that it was 
even with the villains, it was more a story of Bruce Wayne's character. And this one, they try to give him an arc, and they do give him an arc, a pretty good arc, and pretty true to the character, but it's still kind of, in some ways, because of so many characters, so many more characters, they kind of, Bruce Wayne's kind of drowned out in favor of more of the Joker and uh, Two-Face, or RV Dent, because they have to show his rise and fall, so obviously... Yeah. He has to be showcased. And, that. and I think that's kind of what leads to me not liking it as much, because, you know, the first film felt more like it was Batman's, and the second one is more like, well, it's Batman, but it's like he's solving this crime, and it's like, you have to establish these characters first, and you have to do this and that, and it's just, after the first film, you can't really do much with the way of, giving Batman more screen time if you're going to introduce characters like the Joker. But another thing that really kind of gets on my nerves with it is that Gotham City itself is kind of... In the first movie, it, it was Chicago. It was clearly Chicago, but you had the Narrows, which is very much yeah. its own creation. And that kind of gave it its own sort of almost a rusty-looking quality to the Gotham of Nolan's films, like there's there's more of like a you know a decaying aspect of the city, and by the time the Dark Knight rolls around, it's like it's essentially they're shooting on location with yeah. a couple sets more than like more sets that more of like a fantastical world of Batman Begins. Which yeah, is, and like the the Narrows, they kind of just drop it all together. They don't even mention it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you see the like the destroyed monorail when uh, or part of it when Alfred is driving up to where the new... Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, and then that's really the only acknowledgement. Yeah, there's no real you know, mentioning of the Narrows or anything like that, but also, like, I, I don't know, like, I was noticing this yesterday when I watched The Dark Knight, some of the sound design even is kind of more less cinematic, more realistic like the guns like they they all kind of have realistic firing sound effects rather uh, yeah than... i can I, I can get behind that though because i do like you know in, i hate like in uh like movies and tv and stuff where something doesn't sound right you know just i mean not really realism just physics you know like a shotgun won't sound like a machine gun you know yeah 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 i, I mean i guess i guess at the end of the day it is it, I mean, that is meant to be the point. It's just, for some reason, like, going from Batman Begins, where it was very much cinematic, to going to the Dark Knight, where it's more of, like, grounded cinematic. It's more of, like, it's a shift, and I kind of prefer one or the other. But that's really my only... really my biggest problem with the Dark Knight. I think, overall, it's a very solid movie. Oh, yeah. One of the um, best, obviously. And I do think that, honestly, as much as I do enjoy the dark knight i do think that i'm i don't know necessarily like this version of batman is i mean you know it's a i'm fine with like you know it's an adaptation yeah and so as for an adaptation there's gonna be things like no film is gonna be 100 percent completely faithful to the source material um if it was i wouldn't want it that way yeah yeah because you know um, we've seen that before yeah and so i think that like and Batman, Batman, Batman Begins—he's different enough, but um, 
I do think that uh, like one of the aspects I do really we both talk about this and we don't necessarily agree with like Batman's detective side is kind of downplayed in these films yeah and the Dark Knight they try to give him a bit of that with the whole sort of thing with the Joker fires a gun into the wall and Batman manages to piece together the bullet and get a perfect fingerprint off of it. Yes. yes. <laughs> to which I say, it's Morgan Freeman's god powers at work. <laughs> uh, Mr. Nolan, how do we explain this? Science. It was science. It's like, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that scene was kind of ridiculous. It, it kind of implies that every bullet ever fired into any any surface will break exactly the same and able to be pieced together with computers. Yes. Which uh, is like... Uh, I, really. I imagine, like, cops and, like, forensic people, they all facepalm when they saw that scene. Yeah. Yeah, which, I mean, to be fair, Batman is supposed to be more than a cop, but for some, for a movie series that prides itself on explaining everything, that was very not explained. <laughs> yeah, I know. So, yeah, that was a little bit ridiculous, but... You know, I appreciate the effort, at least, to give him more of, like, a, a, a he's snooping around, he's, you know, he's working the daytime beat, because he can't be Batman at night, and he's genuinely... Yeah, and I, I like that, you know, because it's always cool to see Bruce out and about, like, you know, showing that Batman, you know, I mean, even though he operates at night, there's still daytime stuff he can do. Yeah, and I also like the idea that, you know, they do try to make Bruce appear smarter in that movie than he did than he was in the first one. Like, he was smart, but he was, like, more real. He was more, like, everyman type smart. Whereas this one, he's more of, like, he's played up where he's kind of got a little bit of the genius behind him. Where the way he implements, like, the sonar technology and everything by himself. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I, I didn't think about that. Yeah, because, like, that's right. And there's one part I just thought about with the sonar technology. Something me and my brother talked about. We've seen it. Um, like there's one that part where like Lucius is questioning Bruce on the sonar technology. You know, what are you doing? This is like, uh, no offense, Lucius, but I'm gonna play this one pretty close to the chest. And Lucius is like, all right, okay. And then you cut to like like a half hour later when you know it's revealed that Jim Gordon didn't die. You know, he he smacks Joker upside the head and saves Batman. Saves Batman yet again, I might add. Who's there to <laughs> save the day? Exactly, Jim. Gordon. Um, Gordon is the hero of these movies. Um, but then they cut to like Harvey Dent. Like he sees Gordon and they shake hands. He's like, "You do like to keep things close to the test." Like, why are these two characters saying this? There was no setup that they did this. That two characters that set up that line are two characters who aren't these two. Char- they weren't even around to hear that. <laughs> yeah, I think that was a little bit of a like. That was more just the script writer just trying to be more clever, where it was like. It was more like, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Did they mix up lines? Like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, unless like, you know, Jim Gordon had like a peep camera in Wayne Tower, he shouldn't have known that Bruce likes to play things close to the chest. Maybe that's like the Gotham motto. Like, Gotham City, we play things close to the chest. Yeah, and yeah, that's better than the you know the um, in the motto <laughs> in the Burton films. You know, Gotham City cops, where are those? <laughs> exactly. But I just imagined uh, the billboard for Gotham City. We play things close to the chest and being a picture of Katie Holmes's pokey nipples from that one scene. Yeah, I remember that thing. That's one thing. It kept, like, even when I watched Batman Begins, it kept distracting me. 
her nipples. Would it have killed her to wear a bra? Like, what? You would think so. I mean, but, but you know, I, I mean, know I'm not what, complaining, but it must be cold in that room. It makes sense now to how what Tom Cruise saw in her, because like where those nipples come up, it's about how tall he comes up on her. So. <laughs> yeah, I guess that makes sense. But yeah, yeah, I mean, for better or for worse, the Nolan films, I think, captured more of what the comic books had been for the last 20 years, and more of what the comic books I had grown up on were, in that it had more of an intricacy about it, I would say. Yeah, like, there's, that's one of the things, like, it feels like, you know, all films, they talk about there's themes, and, you know, but like, I feel like the Nolan films definitely have, like, subtext in them. Which is something like you really did. You saw some of that in the Burton, and Burton films, and you didn't see that at all in the Schumacher films. Yeah, what you saw in that was kind of what you got. Well, there was a little bit of that in Batman Forever with the themes of like duality and stuff. Yeah, and you know, to be fair to Batman and Robin, there were like family themes and stuff like that, but it was just overshadowed by, you know, freeze puns. <laughs> I still meet you. But, uh, yeah, you can kind of see why they need, felt the need to reboot. But, you know, for all of its purposes, I think Nolan's version of Gotham City is one of my favorites, even though I don't, it's not my absolute favorite, like a lot of people seem to claim. Mm, I don't know. I, I think, like, the Burton films, like, they appeal to me on a nostalgic level. Yeah, yeah, um, me too, and... Uh, to be honest, my ideal Gotham City is the animated series. Or the ideal, like, Batman universe, rather. I do think, like, Batman, the animated series works on the... It's a... More than just nostalgia's quality. Yeah, it is. It's nostalgia and quality. Yeah, exactly. And Batman Begins is more like... It's kind of runs the gamut, where it's like... The Burton films are more nostalgic. Like, we can overlook the flaws of those movies. The animated series is nostalgia and quality, and then Batman Begins is quality without the nostalgia. So it's like... Yeah, not yet anyway. Yeah, not yet. Maybe in a couple of years, who knows? Well, I don't know. We're getting kind of a little nostalgic talking about the Dark Knight or Batman Begins a little bit, you know. Yeah, so. I kind of... To be honest, I did kind of get that feeling when I was watching Batman Begins. It's like, wow, it's been like seven years since that movie came out, right? Yeah. It, watching that it took me back to all the times I was on the forums for the first time and you know when I saw all those initial casting announcements it's like it does take me back to some degree so I guess it will have some nostalgic value eventually yeah that's true so I do think that um, I think Batman Begins is one of the more faithful adaptations to like the comic books in terms of, like character yeah. Yeah, Batman began star on the right note. Uh, Dark Knight continued it. And overall, I mean, seriously, like, as good as the two Burton films were, I think, honestly, like, these two, you know, were uh, together as a whole. They got everything you need to know to what makes Batman such a great character, I think. Yeah, and not only that, but it introduced the masses to the bigger themes of the comics. Exactly. So I think for that, I will always appreciate for trying to bring the more intricate, more complicated, and more quality-laden nature of the comic books to the masses. And 
it also entertained me in a really big way. So for that, I I commend the, the first two installments. Who knows? The Dark Knight Rises may ruin all of that. So <laughs> we'll see. Um, I can imagine Tom Hardy. But but uh, yeah yeah. But to hear our thoughts on the Dark Knight Rises, uh, tune in for the next installment because it will be the conclusion of Bat Month. The shocking conclusion. Right now, you know the Dark Knights are at their lowest. All hope has been lost. A fire will rise. Yes, a fiery cross will rise. You with your clansman hood will rise. Do you think he's coming back? I don't know. And all of a sudden, in the distance here, yeehaw! <laughs> you drop like the mask of Black Panther. <laughs> I wish I was in Dixie. Ray, Ray it starts getting progressively louder. <laughs> it builds up. There's like a chant that means rise. <laughs> oh. Well, no, wait right. a minute. That, that'd be for you because you're the you're the dork knight. I'd be the you're street. The, yeah, I'd, the, be the, I'd be the streetwise cop who has apparently friends with you. You know, he's been friends with him for eight years. You know, you don't <laughs> need to worry about that. They got you, all you need to know is they're tight. They've been tight for years now. Yeah, they, they're tight, son. They're tight, son. I like this. Yeah, I don't know. I think I'd see you more as the bane, like the guy who will break the dork knight. Yes. I've I broke you in one episode. I, I I maintain that I will break you again. You're you're the terrorist with the funny accent. <laughs> uh, I, well, at least I don't have a asthma problem like yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. And you were a gimp mask, but only when you're feeling frisky. Exactly. And well, we're, we're gonna. I guess the next episode will be us fighting to the death. You get like a, you pull your cape out and get like a bag of bricks and smack me upside the head with it. <laughs> well, I've always wanted to do that. Yeah, that's true. Regardless. Until we slide down the bat poles for another installment, the final installment. Farewell, boy wonder. Farewell, Cape Crusader. This has been the penultimate chapter of Bat Month.
Did you think you were rid of us? One can only hope, I guess. We're like a bad case of herpes. Yeah, exactly. We always come back stronger, and we sting a little bit more every time. And we're always on your face for some reason. Yeah, it's weird, but no, we're actually doing uh, an old bit of ours that we had retired a little bit ago. We we retired it in its prime. We did this like the first episode, and we never visited it again. Yeah, exactly, and it felt like for Bat Month especially, it needed to come back. So here's a scene from Batman and Robin in Bird and MB's Acting Theater. Make yourself right at home. Where's my wife? There was nothing I could do. Batman deactivated her. She's dead. You, you lie, you dirty liar. Oh, uh, uh, oh no. I'm sorry. The, their bones will turn to ice. Their blood will freeze in my hands. I killed them, of course, but let's stop there. I should only Batman and Robin die. When the society that created them goes unpunished. Yeah. If if I must suffer, then humanity will suffer with me. Say, that's a good idea. I shall repay them for sentencing me to a life without the warmth of human comfort. I will blanket the city in endless winter. First Gotham, and then the world. Just what I had in mind. Everything did on Earth except us. A chance for Mother Nature to start again. Behold, the dawn of a new age. Yeah, my mutant plants have the strength of the deadliest animals. Once you have frozen mankind, these babies are all around the globe. And I shall rule them, for we will be the only two people left in the world. Yeah, Adam and Evil. Yes. You distract the bat and the bird while I prepare to freeze Gotham. 